Good day, Rabbi. Hello, Joe. I was recently at an interfaith event working with people from different denominations, the subject of, of graven images and the idea that uh, Muslim faith prohibits the image of Mohammed being depicted. And I tried to explain from my conversations with my friends who are Muslim and with you, that it is not the idea itself of an image that is bad. It's more complicated than that. And you have a much better way of explaining that. The, in Islam, Muhammad is the most perfect prophet. Prophet. He's not divine. He's not, uh, well, you know what? He is the son of God as you are the son of God. I'm the son of God. We're all God's children. It says it in the text, God's children. And so we, we, in Islam, we don't want to fall into the temptation of elevating Muhammad into a deity or a, a relation, direct relationship to God that's different from the rest of humanity. And the same thing with the Buddha. Siddhartha Gautama was just enlightened. He became the Buddha. And with statues and pictures of him, he's not divine. He's not God. And so the commandment about having graven images or having images is not so simplistic as a plastic representation of something. It's, we don't want individuals to worship that that's not worthy of being worshiped, hence a God. And so by prohibiting creation of images and putting them up, it lessens the it would lessen the would lessen that of happening if you don't have the image in front of you it would may it won't occur to you well that's god and i'm worshiping a god so it's about human beings it's not about the object greek orthodox churches are full of graven images but rather than condemning them and holding it up to the 10 commandments their intent was not to us to pray to them, but to act as a motivator, a visualizer. As a human being, we like to visualize things. So to have a depiction of, of the disciples or of a saint or of anything in front of you, the goal is to help you focus. That's the plus side. The danger is as human beings, we may fall into the temptation and think of that object as God and forget that it's to remind us of something and we're gonna end up worshiping it. And so Islam does what Judaism has done. We build a fence around things so that you don't actually, it'll prevent you from falling into temptation. You build a parapet, you build a wall, you build a fence around it. So if there is a particular thing like graven images, well, we're just not gonna put any in the, in the place where we worship. Uh, so we're building a fence around something that might happen. So the object itself can't be, shouldn't be considered sacred. What about things that I know in the Catholic faith, we bless things uh, and then they're supposed to be treated with special regard. And the Torah is considered kosher right. and has to be treated in a certain manner and can't be handled with respect. 
are is that violating the image? No. See, the idea of making something sacred or blessing it is to set it set it aside. You know, the Hebrew word for marriage is kiddushin, coming from the Hebrew word kodesh to make holy or sacred, and what it means in the religion is just setting it aside, acknowledging it deserves special treatment. So the Torah should be treated differently than a stone. And that's what we mean when we bless something, we're setting it aside, we're acknowledging to ourselves, it has some significance and it should be treated with different respect. So if one of the light bulbs behind me burns out, then we wanna not recycle it, but dispose of it properly. However, that's a safety measure. It's not because the object is sacred or special, but with the Torah, with icons of different kinds, we bless them. We say, they help us unite with God. They have a special place in my life. Hence, Kiddushin, the person I'm married to, has a special place in my life. And that we're not doing anything to it. What we're doing is to ourselves. We're acknowledging that these objects have some sacredness. They should be set aside. That's what the word sacred in Judaism means, set aside. It doesn't mean in and of itself, it has power or control. And for that reason, we wanna treat it with respect because we've decided that it has meaning. And so when we say, let's not have graven images or depictions, we're building a fence so that we're not tempted to think of these objects as something that they're not. They're there to help us. They're there to remind us. They're there to create humility. Now the responsibility rests upon the worshiper, on the person. If someone walking into the building mistakes the statue of the Blessed Virgin Mary or St. Joseph, as if they, they are something other than to remind us of our obligations, to remind us of who they were, and to strengthen us in our resolve. If we go further than that, we're doing it. The institution isn't. The institution isn't placing these. So there's no violation of the commandment. The violation takes place in each of us. When we elevate something not worthy of worship to a place of worship, then we're worshiping a, a graven image. And graven doesn't have to be physical necessarily. It can be a person, a person, a personality. It can be something else. But we're doing the same thing. We're ignoring God and elevating something unworthy of, of that kind of treatment. And so in Islam, we build a fence. In Judaism, we would build a fence. And that way, we're not going to be tempted. We're not going to have that problem. And the, the church has decided that rather than building fences, we're going to teach that these objects help us unite. And go ahead. So I was, I'm thinking of the scene from uh, the movie Dogma when Ben Affleck lectures about Ruby the cow. Does this cross over into public life? Is Mubi, uh, is, I know certain someone who worships Ed Sheeran, um, <laughs> rock stars, uh, cartoon characters. Yes, uh, yes. 
The prophets speak of this all the time. And they were preaching 1,000, 4,000, 5,000 years ago, acknowledging the human personality, that there, we are always tempted to give in to wanting to venerate, wanting to worship, wanting to elevate a person or an idea. That's what a cult is. A cult elevates the person and their theories to godlike position. That violates the commandment because you're making them into a God. And it's, it's always someone unworthy. It's always someone who's anti the best religion teaches. Uh, Muhammad never envisioned people putting on bombs and blowing themselves up and killing innocent people. Never. That's not anywhere in the literature. It's not anywhere to be found. So what we find with a lot of religious cults and organizations is that they're doing it for self-aggrandizement, they're doing it for power, and it really violates the very teachings of the religion they're trying to promote, because it doesn't say that. Jesus never said, if uh, don't turn the other cheek. He never said, take your AK-47 and waste someone. He, he talked about walking the mile, giving, his, giving clothes, turning the other cheek. He talked about respect and, and love for human beings. And yet we find some of our religions that are promoting hurting other people and taking away other people's rights, rights to vote, rights for medical procedures. We find religions also promoting anti-health. And we would, Jesus, Muhammad, Gandhi, Moses, the Buddha, none of our greatest teachers ever promoted that. It was just the opposite. You do what's good for everyone. Well, when do we know when we're starting to stray from the idea of having an object as a reminder of our faith versus worshiping the object? When we start seeing our own behavior is counter to the teaching of the individual. Turn to the Sermon on the Mount. There's For Christians, there it is. If you're promoting things that Jesus either didn't promote or was actually against, then it's time to turn around, time to repent, say you're sorry, that, there you have it. We can look at the Torah and God's teachings. We can look at the Quran and what Muhammad taught. There's always a place to go. And what's fascinating is people would misquote or just lie and say, oh, Jesus said this, and Muhammad didn't mean that. And when you look at it, it's not consistent. So this that's one way to do it. Look at the teaching. Is it consistent with the real teaching, the basic teaching, not what someone said someone said? Go back to the original. Go into the Gospels. Go into the Torah. Read the Quran. Not what someone said it said. Read the document. That's one way. The other is just to look at your behavior. Are you neglecting your responsibility? Are you treating others harmfully? And that harmfully is the word. When our behavior starts to harm ourselves and others, we're off base. I'm reminded, of, I'm reminded of a street vendor in Rome selling pieces of the true cost. Uh, you know, and I have a feeling, you know, there was a two by four missing chunk somewhere. Uh, yes, there was. And that is, is that part of it? I mean, at what point do we know we are giving too much respect to quote, a religious object, unquote. I know in Christianity, if you drop the host during Holy Communion, 
there is a procedure for washing the area. I know there's a procedure if you actually drop the, accidentally drop the Torah on the ground. But I'm, I'm reminded of a movie that happened a long time ago, I can't remember the title, where they managed to get a priest to spit on a crucifix uh, because of the situation they placed him in. And my mother watching that said, ex explained it to me very well. She said, the crucifix is just a symbol. And what he did was to save people and do the right thing. Right. Well, see, you just outlined it. When our actions turn out to be harmful or limit the rights of other people, then, then it's time to turn around. And you can't pick a passage and show me that this is okay. Because what you'll do is proof texting, cherry picking. You'll pick a line or two out of context. Take the teaching, take the Sermon on the Mount and show me where your behavior is consistent or inconsistent. So we're right back to the behavior, our behaviors. And that becomes the litmus test if you want one. Uh, if you don't uh, believe in abortion, don't have one. If you don't believe in uh, two people of the same gender having a relationship, don't have one. Because that doesn't interfere with other people. But if you start passing laws and rules, then you're interfering with others. And that's where we, we draw the line. And we also want to say if your behavior is unhealthy and will endanger someone else's life because of health, because of spreading disease, because we, we have restaurants that the health department goes in to prevent people from getting sick. So th there's a balance going on here that we have to consider, but the rule really still stands. Is what I'm doing healthy and helpful for the people around me and for me? If not, it's time to examine it. Well, healthy and helpful is always my definition of your advice. So thank you very much, Rabbi. <clears throat> You're very welcome. And I look forward to talking with you again.